welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to Jonah chapter 1. If you can't find Jonah, it's towards the end of your Old Testament, so it's basically right smack dab in the middle of your Bible. Well, if you grew up in church, and and many of us did, if you didn't, that's okay, but many of us did grow up in church to some degree, one of the things that we always start teaching our kids is what I call the Bible stories. And a lot of them, not all of them, but most of them come from the Old Testament. And these are the stories that you can know absolutely nothing about the Bible, but you know the basics of these stories. We know stories like David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den. Most people know Noah's Ark. And, And one of our favorites that we love to teach kids is Jonah and the great fish. These stories that that take imagination, that seem bigger than life, that really happen. And we use these stories to teach our kids about the greatness of God in their their small little states. Now, today what we're going to do is we're going to begin looking at the story of Jonah. And I wanted to give you guys a test to start out with. I wanted to know if you guys paid attention when you were in first grade in Sunday school and if you retained it all the way to now. You guys got, got this, right? Okay, I can see you guys need some confidence, so here's what we're going to do. I I want you to repeat after me. You guys ready? (laughs) Guys, I want you to know something. I spent a decade of my life teaching eighth graders. There is no way you guys are more stubborn than them. So we're going to do it my way, okay? So so listen, here we go. I want you to repeat after me. Number one, I am smart. I am pretty. I can do this. I have the best pastor in the world. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You don't have to say that. You don't have to say that. You don't have to say that. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. Arby's going to pull up the story of Jonah. And this is like your take-home truth for me. You are going to fill in the blanks today. Okay. So I'm going to read it. And I want you to yell the answers when we get to the blank. Let's see if you guys can do it. God called Jonah to preach in Nineveh. And Jonah... He didn't want to go. He ran away. Jonah got on a boat and God sent a storm. Next slide, please. When the crew got scared, they threw, they got scared, they looked at the waves, they threw Jonah overboard. God sent a giant fish to swallow Jonah, and he was in its belly three days. Next one. When the fish spit Jonah out on dry land, he went to Nineveh. Okay, you guys did okay. Or, well, let me take it back. Six of you guys did okay. The rest of y'all didn't say a thing, but I still love you. I still love you. So we teach this story, and we know the basics of the story, and we get into the story, and then with all of the wisdom of kids, we come up with these applications that are, are, are very, very childlike, like, like obey God. God is good. Uh, don't run from him. God punishes those who disobey, which are all great, and they're all true. But as we dive into the story today as adults, I think we're going to see something deeper than most of us know about the story of Jonah. Because within the story of Jonah, 
There, there is this aspect of men's nature that, that we are prideful, we are disobedient, and one of the main themes of Jonah is how hypocritical we can be when it comes to accepting God's love for ourselves and denying God's love for others. We're going to see some aspects of God's nature. Number one, that he is the holy and judgmental God, but that is also coupled with the fact that he is loving and merciful. And then here's what we'll see is the depths that God will go to bring us into his love and mercy. We see a God here who doesn't just send a fish because Jonah was being disobedient. We see a God here who pursues a willingful, disobedient man. And I take that and I look at, look at the story and I go, that's God's story and my story. If you're honest with yourself this morning, if you look at the story of Jonah, that's your story and God's story. You were disobedient. You ran from God and yet he pursued you. And for some of us, he pursued us to depths and in ways that are, are unimaginable. So our goals for this series called Fish Grace are going to be that we want to understand God's nature. We want to understand our nature. We want to learn to fear God and his judgment, but also at the same time understand how to apply his grace to us and apply his grace to others. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to start in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read four verses and then we'll come back to it here in just a second. So read the first four verses with me. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord." Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to that in just a second. So here in the Old Testament, we have a section of the Bible that is dedicated to what we call the prophets. When you, when you hear the word prophet, here's what I want you to think. I want you to think spiritual mailman, okay? Like they receive a message from God and their job is to deliver it to whoever God is sending it to. And so within the prophets, you have these men that throughout the history of Israel, God called them to deliver a message of some sort, usually to his people. These uh, prophets are split up into two different groups, what we call the major prophets, because their books are bigger. That would be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then there are also 12 minor prophets who are not any less important. It's just that their stories and their books are much shorter. Jonah is one of those uh, minor prophets. So when you hear Jonah, don't just think Jonah the man who got swallowed by a fish. Think that Jonah's job and his profession and his calling from God was he was a spiritual mailman. His entire purpose in life was to take a message from God and deliver it to the people. We see that in the first line. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So you see here, Jonah is downloading this message almost, or God is downloading this message into Jonah, and Jonah receives it. But there's a problem here. There's a problem with this message that Jonah is getting. Jonah is mentioned in other places of carrying messages. It's not that he's, he doesn't want to do what God wants him to do, but this particular message is hard. Uh, number one, it's hard because it's difficult because he's going to have to deliver it to an enemy. Number two, Two, it's, dang it's dangerous for him to deliver him. Here's the message that Jonah is sent. It says, cry out against Nineveh, their wickedness has come up before me. Your first take-home truth, number one, God sees and does not ignore evil and wickedness. This is where we start with the story of Jonah. God sees and he does not ignore evil, wickedness, and sin. 
Now, the way this is worded is a little confusing because the, the way God says it, he says, their evil has come up before me. And it kind of almost sounds like God is saying, um, I, I, noticed, I noticed they were evil. But that's not what God's saying. Well, what God is saying is, is that their evil and their wickedness has got to a point where I will no longer tolerate it. I've had enough. I will not deal with it anymore. Here's what we need to understand about the nature of God. God hates sin. It is a personal affront to him. It is not a small thing. It is not something he just lets go. It is it's something that it fills him with righteous anger and no sin is hidden from him. And he, he may be waiting and not punishing sin now, but he will not wait forever. And what we see with Nineveh is he has watched their wickedness to a point where he says, I have had enough. I will tolerate this no longer. Now, Nineveh, if you're wondering what their sin was, Nineveh was a wicked place. We see in another place in the Bible four sins that are listed uh, for Nineveh. Pride, greed, adultery, and brutality. This is not only biblically true, this is historically proven that Nineveh was one of the most brutal cities in the entire world. At this time, we're talking about uh, the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh is the city that is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and they are known for basically being the first form of terrorist. They want to rule their kingdom and they want to intimidate other kingdoms by extreme acts of brutality and use fear to control other people. This is a direct quote from one of the kings of the Assyrian Empire. He says, I built a pillar at the city gate, and I filleted all the chief men who had revolted, and I covered their pillar with the skins. Some I walled up inside the pillar. Some I impaled on the pillar with stakes. You see, in Nineveh, sin was not just something that happened. It was celebrated. The people celebrated, and they loved it. And God gets to a point where he has enough, and he sends Jonah to pronounce judgment. He's sending Jonah to these people to tell them, God will not tolerate this any longer. Now here in a couple weeks we'll get to chapter 3 when Jonah finally actually makes it to Nineveh after he does the whole fish thing. And you see the message that he is sent to tell them is when he walks into the streets of Nineveh, he says, 40 days and this city will no longer exist. God will not tolerate it anymore. So that is the message that Jonah is, is being sent to. Now for just a second... Just a second, let's put ourselves in Jonah's shoes. Because if I know one thing about good old Arkansas Baptists is we are like hindsight judgy people. I wouldn't have done that. I would have just listened to God. God wouldn't have had to have me eaten by a fish. And I don't really think that's true. Put yourself in his shoes for just a second. Jonah is being sent from his home country to a country that is the enemy of his country, that is especially known for brutality against people, to deliver a message that this city will be destroyed within 40 days. That'd be the equivalent of you coming here today, and I ask you every time we join here to pray that God will open your heart. He'll speak to you. He'll call you to something. You, you prayed that this morning, and you're praying that, and God, God says, okay, I want you to leave America. I want you to go to the Gaza Strip, and I want you to cry out against Hamas and say because of their attacks on Israel that this area will no longer exist in 40 days. That is the exact equivalent of what Jonah is being called to do. And so understandably, not righteously, understandably, Jonah is hesitant to do this. And so what does Jonah do? 
Jonah runs. I've got a map coming up here just to give you a picture of what he's doing. Jonah leaves where he's at. He goes down to Joppa, which is the point down there in the bottom right-hand corner, and he gets on a boat that is going to go all the way across the Mediterranean city to Tarshish on the left-hand side. Nineveh is the direct opposite way. So Jonah not only refuses to go, but he goes to the opposite direction. And what we generally teach when we teach kids this is like, Jonah, Jonah was so scared, he went away from Nineveh. But that doesn't make sense. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, but it's not like Nineveh was going to come get Jonah. Jonah could have been disobedient and stayed where he was at, which was comfortable. So why did, why did Jonah feel like he needed to get on a boat and go to the farthest point away that he possibly could? Well, three times just here in the, in the first few verses of chapter one, here's what it says. It doesn't say that Jonah is fleeing from Nineveh. It says that Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Here's what we see in Jonah is Jonah is not only scared of the mission, Jonah is scared of God and he begins to run from God. Your second take home truth, number two, when we disobey God, we run from him. When we disobey God, we run from him. There's something about the holiness and the perfection of God that causes us to want to avoid him when we dive into sin. There's something about who he is that makes us want to, want to not have to deal with him when we know we have been disobedient to him. That's why Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were hiding when they heard God walking among the garden. That's why, that's why when we're going down the wrong path and we know we're going down the wrong path, there are those certain friends, I just don't want to hear from them today because they're a reminder that I'm doing the wrong thing. It's the reason that some of us came in this morning and we came to church because we feel like we have to, but church is just unbearable right now. Your body is in the building, but your heart is outside because I, I don't want to be told what to do by God. We tend to flee from him when we cannot, when we cannot bring ourselves to obey him. And so Jonah is rebelling against God. Number one, I think he's scared. But what we see here is when we rebel against God, it's because we reject who God is. We reject who he really is. That's why we run from God. We reject the grace that he has on us. But what we see in Jonah is Jonah is rejecting the grace that God has on others. In chapter four, we see why Jonah didn't want to go. He flat out says, I didn't want to go to Nineveh, God, because I knew if they repented of their sins, you would forgive them. And I don't like that. You ever know anybody like that that you see every once in a while in the mirror in the morning? That, that you love God's grace for you, but you don't like God's grace for anybody else? I, I don't trust God to be good to everybody else. He can be good to me. I want his forgiveness, but I don't want him to forgive them. That's the heart of Jonah. I don't want God's forgiveness on others. I don't want God's forgiveness on the enemies. So when we look at the story of Jonah, understand this is not just a Bible school tale that we tell. It's a story about a man and a fish. This is a story about a man with a heart like mine. It's a story about a man who deals with the same struggles that you do in rejecting God. Because we're all prone to reject God in that way, whether it's we reject his teaching. I don't know very many people that at one time in their life or not didn't read something the Bible says and go, I don't, I don't like that one. 
whether we reject his calling on our life, whether that's being called to do something for him or being called into salvation, whether we reject him by staying in sin, we are just like Jonah. And here's what I love about the story of Jonah, if it applies to me. Because the story of Jonah is not just a story of Jonah walking off into sin and staying there. The story of Jonah is a story of Jonah walking off into sin and God pursuing Jonah in that sin. That's what this is about. We have a fancy church word for that. That word is called grace. It means that God pursues you in your sin. That even in your most broken moments, God is like, come back to me. The official definition of that, the one that we teach, is grace is the unmerited favor of God. That he likes you not because you're likable, he likes you because of who he is. And that doesn't change based upon what you do. But here's what we also learn from the story of Jonah. While the story of Jonah is a story about grace, we get a picture of how God's grace works. And sometimes, this is hard for us to understand, Sometimes grace can be painful because grace doesn't mean just go do what you want and it'll be okay. Grace means God loves us enough to bring us to repentance by whatever means necessary. And what we see in this story is the lengths God will go to to pursue someone he loves and to bring them back to him. Let's keep reading in the story. We're going to read the rest of the chapter. So this is a long one. Everybody take a deep breath. Here we go. We're going to read verses 4 through 16. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where, and where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then he said, then he said to him, What shall we do that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great temptest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more temptuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with, the in, with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as you have ple has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. We're going to stop right there, right before the good part. Your next take-home truth is this. Number three, God will bring storms into our lives to bring us to repentance. 
See, Jonah here is running from God. He's got on a boat to go just as far from God as he can possibly go. And, and this storm comes upon him. And this is not just a regular, like, at-sea storm. This is a huge storm. The expert boat people, I don't know what you could, the expert sailors, the expert sailors were freaking out. They've never seen anything like this. They know this is abnormal. They start asking, whose God is responsible for this? And they're, and they're praying to their gods. And they go, wake up, Jonah. It's like, I don't know who your God is, but you better pray to him because we're fixing to die. That's the kind of storm that Jonah is in at this moment. And I want to look at a key verse here. Verse four. Verse four. I want you to look at this storm. But the Lord sent out a great wind. There's a truth in the scripture here is God will actively oppose us if we're going the wrong direction to turn us around. I mean, like, I know this, this is not what you came to church to hear this morning. Like, we, we want, like, cuddly, friendly God that just loves us so much and just wants to give us a hug. That, that's true. But there's also the truth of the scripture here is that God will oppose you. God, God will take immense steps to turn you around. And it doesn't sound right because it's like, well, Brian, is God mean? Is he demanding? Is he controlling? Oh, the God I love wouldn't bring me into hardship. My God's all about making me feel happy and making sure I have money and taking care of me. All those things are true, but our God foremost above everything else is holy. And God cares a lot more about our holiness than he does our happiness. And at times, God will sacrifice your happiness if it is a path to bring you to holiness. And the reason for that is happiness is a temporary, fleeting feeling. I can prove that. Yesterday, Saturday, October 21st, I was very happy at 11 a.m. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I was very unhappy at 11.15 a.m., I'm not even going to say the name. That doesn't, it doesn't bear mentioning the name. It, it's, it's a fleeting moment. It's a fleeting moment of happiness. But listen, holiness, holiness is an eternal state. In a hundred years from now, it will not matter if in this current moment you were happy. But a hundred years from now, it will matter if you were holy. And so God will sacrifice in his goodness and his knowledge of the world. He will sacrifice our happiness for our holiness. And sometimes God himself will bring hardship on us, not out of hatred, but out of discipline. Try to understand God like a parent. Parents discipline their children. It's a, it's a biblical thing, by the way, discipline is. It's biblical that we should do this. The Bible talks about it quite a bit. Now, now the world has contested this and begin to twist what the Bible says about discipline. Here, here's the biblical view of, of discipline. Discipline is, is correction and protection. That's biblical, and that is the heart of God. Now, listen to me carefully, because this needs to be said as well. Discipline in anger is abuse. That's not biblical. And as much as we believe in discipline, we just as strongly oppose abuse. But what God will do is like a good parent who disciplines their child correctly, God will discipline us. Revelation 3.19, or let me back up, uh, Proverbs 13.24 says this about parents. It says, whoever spares the rod hates their child, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Listen to this. The Bible equates discipline to love. An aspect of love for somebody who is in charge of somebody else is discipline. And so if 
God is love. And God does love us. Part of his relationship on us will be disciplined. Revelation 3.19 says this. He says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And if you spend very much time studying your Old Testament of your Bible, you see that to be true with the children of Israel. It's, if, you, if you read the Old Testament through, it's, it's repetitive. It's the same story over and over and over. God's children are within his love. They rebel. They do something stupid. They go off into sin. God allows them to be punished by allowing a drought to happen or allowing somebody else to invade them. Israel, in the midst of, of this storm, returns to God where they again experience his love. And you repeat that about 38 times. That is the Old Testament of your Bible. God will punish his children. And what God will do for us is he will sacrifice our temporary comfort for our long-term protection. And that in itself is grace. Because God could have walked away, but he still protects us and he pursues us, and that's proof of his love. Now, let me say this just because it needs to be said, just, just a quick disclaimer. Not every storm that you're going through is a punishment for a sin. If, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, God has sent this storm on me because there's some sin I don't know about, that, that's probably untrue. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, I've got this storm because of this sin, and that's probably the Holy Spirit talking to you. But not all storms are sin as a punishment. In the New Testament, Jesus was walking around and he walked up to a blind man and all the disciples asked him, they basically said, what storm is this? He said, for whose who's, who sins is this man blind? Did his parents sin? Did he sin? Why is he blind from birth? And Jesus said this, he said, this man is not blind as a punishment. He's blind so that God can be glorified in healing him. And then he does just that. So sometimes storms are just part of life. But sometimes they are punishment as well. And what we see with Jonah, I believe, is a warning to us about how we approach a perfect and a holy God. I think the book of Jonah is the three count. Any other parents know the three count? My daughter, bless her heart, I love her. She don't listen to nothing. Just like her mother. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kind of. And so we, I, I swore I wouldn't do this. I, you know, you, you get real sanctimonious when you know when I have kids. That, that all goes out the window, let me just tell you. Uh, like, I always swore, no, my kid will listen to me, but we've got the three count. And so, hey, go, go do this. And then she doesn't do it. And so we, one, two and boy she knows where two and a half is because she waits until two and a half and then she takes off because she knows that there's something coming the three count is a warning what jonah is for us is is jonah or i'm sorry what jonah is for us it is a warning for us for those of us that have secret sin that are rebelling against god god is telling us i will only put up with it so long before i take action to turn you away from that sin and sometimes God does that by simply saying, okay, you want it, you can have it. If you look at Romans chapter 1, one of the ways God punishes us for our sin is he just says, I'm going to let your sin have you. Because sin in itself has a destructive nature. If you sin long enough, it's eventually going to bring its own storm on you. And so sometimes God just says, okay, you just play with that for a while. And when you get tired of it, you come back over here. When it hurts enough, you come running back to me. My grace is still available to you. But if that's what you want, you can have it. Isn't that the story of the prodigal son? 
The prodigal son, you guys know that story from Jesus. He's, he has this, this uh, story about a young man who takes all of his dad's money and he runs off to a far country and he just parties it up. He does everything he could possibly dream of. He thinks he's living the life. But before it's all said and done with, he's lost all of his friends. He's lost all of his money. He's living with the pigs. He has nothing to eat. And what does he said? It would be better at my father's house. And he turns around and he humbly goes home. Sometimes God will let us live in the pig pens. He'll let us take ourselves to the pig pens. So we'll come running back to him. Now, that's the warning that I think the scripture is getting at for us. But things for Jonah seem to be getting worse. Your, your fourth take-home truth is storms are compounded by our stubbornness. Storms are compounded by our stubbornness. Uh, I think Jonah was an ancestor of mine because he has the stubborn gene. Three times in this book, he records, instead of repenting and going, okay, God, I'll do it your way, three times he says, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than do it God's way. What, what did they say? They come to Jonah and they say, what's going on with this storm? And Jonah says, this has become because of me. They said, how do we make it stop? So Jonah said, throw me in the water. Now, this is an opinion. So be clear. let me be clear. This is an opinion. I personally think if Jonah had said, turn around and take me back to Joppa, I'm going to Nineveh, I think it would have had the same effect. But Jonah's stubborn. Jonah's like, no, I'd rather die than turn around and go back the way that God has called me to. We see that again in chapter 4, two times. God's even talking to Jonah. Is it good for you to be so mad? And Jonah's like, yeah, I'd rather die. Like, like that's, that's the way Jonah is. And in his stubbornness, in his stubbornness, he's not repenting. Now, it's interesting here when you look at Jonah. It's interesting what you can learn about repentance. Repentance is not just something you say, it's something you do. Because Jonah acknowledges he's in the wrong. Why is the storm here? The storm is here because of me. I know God sent this because of me. But he doesn't repent, he doesn't turn back to God, and he doesn't begin to do it God's way. He continues on on the path that he's on. Just throw me in the river, or in the, in the sea. That's completely different than someone who turns around and corrects their wrongdoing. Listen to me very carefully. Repentance is not when you just say, I'm doing something wrong. Repentance is when you say, I'm doing something wrong, and I'm done doing it. Many of you are, are married in here, and, and I hate to use this example, but it's, it's actually a biblical example. Imagine if you could, and I hope you don't have to, imagine if you could, if your, parents came up to, if your spouse came up to you and said, I want you to know six months ago I had an affair. It would be crushing. And then you're like, okay. And they're like, but I want to make this work between us. And like, okay, well, it's over. Who was the person? Are you still talking to them? Like, it's over rather than, oh, no, it's not. I'm going to keep doing it. Like, I know it was wrong. I'm going to keep doing it, but I want this to work between us. That is completely different than somebody who goes, listen, I made a mistake. And I will do everything in my power to make sure that mistake doesn't happen again. A lot of times we approach God and we call it repentance and we come to God and go, hey, I did something wrong. And I'm going to keep doing it, but I still want you to forgive me anyway. And we see with Jonah that that's not repentance. It just compounds the storm. And because of that lack of repentance, they, they throw him in the water. And you guys know the story. The giant fish swallows him. That will be the focus of next week's message. And we can imagine how uncomfortable that is, but it's still God's grace. Because what we're seeing is the patient discipline of God. And that God is both protecting and punishing Jonah at the same time. Listen, for some of us, our storms just keep intensifying. 
We keep feeling that conviction. We're miserable. We just wallow in the consequences of our sin. And it seems like it will never end because we won't return. What we basically are saying to God is I would rather die than give up my bitterness. I would rather die than follow God into a new life. I would rather die than walk away from those friends. I would rather die than seek accountability or find ways to cut access to that sin. For many of us, and I've walked in those storms myself, and I've had those same responses, for many of us, we act just like Jonah. I'm going to double down on the sin instead of turning away from it. So if the warning of Jonah so far is not a big enough reason for us to turn away from our sins, there's a bigger reason. Take home truth number five. Consequences of sin will fall on those we love. The Bible is very clear here that that the storm sent is for Jonah, but his sin is affecting those in the boat with him. If you aren't scared of the storm for your own sake, I hope that you love somebody enough to be scared of the storm for their sake. Because sin is a communal effort. What I mean is if you bring sin into a household, it affects everybody in that household. I spent the last decade of my life teaching kids. Here is the overwhelming story of today's youth in our state. Is that these children only know the existence of paying for the mistakes of their parents. That's a sad truth and every teacher you talk to can tell you that. Our sins don't affect just us. Our sins affect other people as well. The next two take-home truths are two questions I want you to ask yourself, or I want all of us to ask ourselves. The first one is, who is in my boat? Because what consequences am I bringing on those that I love with my sin? When it blows up, and it will, who else will be hurt? If I keep going down this road, if I keep drinking that hard, if I keep flirting with that coworker, if I keep going to that website, if I keep indulging in that bitterness, if I keep treating the people this way, who else is going to be hurt when it all blows up? The second question is, whose boat am I in? Because it's very important to question, who am I tying myself to? Because we can be drugged into the consequences of others' sin as well. Listen, you can't choose your family. You're stuck with them. That, that's, that's, that's just... It's your plot in life. And maybe you've got a great family, maybe you don't. That's your plot in life. But there are relationships that you can choose. There are people that, that you can invite into your life that can bring sin with them that will be detrimental to you. Specifically, friends have incredible influence on us in bringing us into sin. But also, and I want to caution our younger people in here, romantic relationships. If you're in here and you're like, I'm single, ready to mingle. Be very, very, very choosy because when you attach yourself to somebody in a long-term relationship or marriage, they drag sin into that relationship with them. And the consequences of that sin will not be just theirs, they will become yours as well. Psalm 1-1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Does this mean that we avoid sinners? No, we love unconditionally, but we also see the danger of sin and we run from it. So this morning, if our musicians want to start to come forward, I think this text bears a truth from us. Are we running from God in some way? Is there something we refuse to give to Him? 
is God calling us to something and we keep saying no? What the scripture is telling us is there is a warning before it is too late. Turn away from your sin and turn to God. That may be that secret sin that you're hiding, that one that nobody at church would ever know about, but you know. That may be the fact that I'm rejecting God's calling on my life. I can tell you the most miserable storm in my life was when God called me to be a pastor and I said no for five years. And it may be that you're sitting here and God is calling you into his salvation. And every week you come here and you fight against that. Just understand, God will not allow you to stay in your sin because he loves you too much. Today you have an opportunity. Turn away from your sin and turn to a good and loving and perfect God. Don't leave here the same way that you walked in. Let's stand and worship. Thank you for joining us this week at Ramsey Heights. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and if you did, feel free to share it with others. If we can help you begin to follow Jesus or grow in your relationship with Him, join us on Sundays or connect with us on social media or our website, ramseyheightsfamily.online.